All right, well, welcome to church. Glad you're here at the mill. My name is Zach. I'm the pastor. If you're visiting, I see a face or two I don't recognize. I'd encourage you to fill out a welcome card if you wouldn't mind so that we have a record of your attendance so that we know who you are and get better acquainted. We would appreciate that very much. If you are visiting, this is the third in a series of three weeks on the topic of generosity. We're going to wrap this up this week and move on to a New Testament book. And I haven't quite decided, but I'm narrowing it down and I'm looking forward to starting a a new fall series next uh, week. Right now, the series we're wrapping up is called Crazy Like Us. um, And it's really a series in which we're talking about uh, and contrasting this idea of, of giving with this idea of being generous. How many of you would say they're one and the same? That's the assumption, right? This, this uh, giving and then, and then generosity. Um, the idea of giving and the idea of being generous are, are quite different. Everybody gives, at least everybody in the Western culture, generally. Uh, nearly everybody in America understands the importance of giving. Uh, but the point of this mini-series, I think this is the first time we've talked about generosity in a, in a couple of years at the mill, is actually not how to give but how to be generous. That's a little insulting if you're just a listener because if I say I'm going to teach you how to be generous, you would say, rightly, that assumes that I don't already know, right, how to be generous. But here's what I do know. I don't know if you're generous or not. Um, I know that most Americans respond to need. That's the way most Americans participate in giving. What they don't know how to do is, in general, structure their lives around generosity. Uh, I've told you this isn't a do thing. This isn't a do thing. This is a be thing. It's a learned behavior. It's not natural to us. Uh, I told you that sometimes being someone who responds to need can even actually mask or hide the fact that someone is not generous, oddly enough. Ironically, generosity is more than just random acts of kindness. I'm all for them. I love receiving them. I love giving to people unexpectedly. Um, but I will tell you the truth, which is and I know this, and, and because I have a relationship with most of you, um, I can tell you this. People can be persuasive. Are you aware of that? People can persuade. Anybody with one of these things can persuade. It's just true. It's just people are persuasive. And people can talk you into giving. People can collect a lot of money for all kinds of things. I told you last week, with enough sad pictures, with enough inspiration, with enough motivation, people will give. They will. That's not generosity. Generosity does not need compelling. Generosity doesn't need convincing. Generosity doesn't need or respond to guilt. Rather, generous people have a plan. At the beginning of the series, I told you this was going to be super practical. Today's going to be the most practical of the three. How many of you say, thank God? No, don't say that. Don't be mean to me. Um, I promised you, and I'll go on record saying it probably a third time, 
if you become generous, you will not only give more, but what else will you do? You'll save more. You'll save more because you'll consume less. You'll consume less. Uh, I've told you, Jesus even makes a better promise. Jesus said that people who orient their lives around generosity actually are happier. Am I that bad that you didn't recall the answer to that question? Have I done that poorly a job communicating the first two weeks? You're going to be happier, right? Um, Blessed is he who, or happier is he who gives than who receives. Jesus wasn't talking about a momentary transaction. He was talking about a lifestyle. Um, Last week, I told you Westerners worry about money. I would hope that if you're checking in today for the first time, that you'd listen to the first two weeks online. Uh, You can do that at Facebook. Can we do that on our website or our YouTube channel? YouTube channel, The Mill Church. Uh, You can find the first couple weeks and and listen, or if you missed one of them, catch it. Uh, Last week, we talked a lot about people worrying about money, which we do all the time in the United States, in Western countries, in Canada, in Europe. We worry about our money. Am I going to have enough to retire on? Am I going to have enough to help with the kids' college? Am I going to have enough to own a home? We worry, and we worry, and we worry, and then we do the craziest thing in the world in response to our worry. The craziest thing under the sun. After having worried and worried and worried about our finances, we spend and spend and spend. We spend more than we make. And then we have debt. And then we don't have any financial margin to live what? So you were paying attention. Or at least, let's see, (laughs) Um, I, I was just thinking, uh, this is shocking to me, but I'm saying Sue, and it's not Sue, it's Julie. For 30 seconds, I had, has anybody ever called you Sue? No. Okay. It's just me. All right. People have called me Josh my whole life. Have I ever told you this? Anytime somebody mistakes my name for another name, it's Josh. How is that even possible? I'm convinced I should have been named Josh. Maybe Julie should have been named Sue. Who knows? Anyway, we we spin, so round and round we go. And and we go to the car dealership, right? When we're stressed, when we're worried about our finances. And then we work it off. And then we worry about it for the entire three-year or five-year loan. And then we go to the boat dealership. And then we work that off. And we worry along the way. Or then we take multiple vacations. Everybody has their thing, see. For some, it's cigarettes or alcohol, okay? So round and round we go. And the thing is, and I tried to show you this last week, by positing a number of very difficult questions to you, It doesn't matter how much money you make. I told you last week, billionaires lay their heads on their pillows at night, and what do they worry about? Money. They do. True story. So we've all convinced ourselves in the craziest place to convince ourselves, this United States of America, that we have money problems. What did we learn last week? We do not have money problems. We have 
self-control problems. That's what we have. We have contentment problems, happiness problems. So if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, you don't have to take any of this seriously. This is only for those who follow Jesus seriously. But Jesus would add this. You have a spiritual problem. You have a spiritual problem because if you've placed your trust not in the one who richly provides, but in riches themselves, that's an issue. You're not to see yourself as an owner. You're to see yourself as a steward. And that's an entirely different way to live. Jesus would say, we're better than this. I did not design you for this. Ownership is a myth. One day your kid or your kids are going to throw it all away anyway. We talked about that. No kid who's going through their parents' estate goes home and says, after having gone through all of that stuff, you know, sweetie, we should collect just as much stuff as mom and dad did in their lifetimes. No, what is the consensus? They say, Let's get rid of our stuff so that our kids don't have to deal with what we just dealt with, right? So don't see yourself as an owner. See yourself as a steward. How do we break, this all begs this question. This is what we're going to look at today practically. All that was review. How do we break the insanity cycle? How do we break the insanity cycle? Look at your neighbor and say, how do we break the cycle? How do we break the cycle? All right. Here's how not to do it. Are you ready? I've told you this again and again. It's not by making more money. Tell your neighbor, it's not by making more money. Last week I tried to show you, if you, whatever you do in your 30s, you're going to do in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s, in your 70s. It's true. More money is not going to change it. That's your habit as it pertains to personal finance. How do you break the cycle then? If you got a 10, 20, or 30% raise, it doesn't mean that you will become more generous. What you do with little, you will do with a lot, right? So how do you break it? You reprioritize. You reorder. Hear me this morning when I tell you this is super simple. This is super simple. Are you ready? Super simple. If you don't remember anything else, remember what I'm about to tell you. You take the thing that's last on your list and you put it first on your list. And you take the thing that's first on your list and you put it last on your list. That's all there is to it. You take the last thing and you make it first. And you take the first thing and you make it last. Now I'm going to show you how that works. And to do that, uh, we're going to go back to our definition from weeks one and two. If you remember this definition, you get uh, big time bonus points. Generosity is the, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> premeditated, premeditated. We're going to look at each one of these closely today. Premeditated. What's, what's the next one? Planned, we talked a lot about planning. Calculated, anybody remember that word from the previous two weeks? Were any of you guys here the previous two weeks at all? Okay, a couple of you were. Designated. Premeditated, calculated, designated, emancipation. There's a new word. My dad makes up words all the time. I get it from him. Emancipation, emancipation of financial 
assets. Premeditated, what does that mean? That means that in a sense, it's planned. It's uh, calculated in the sense that you decide on an amount. It's designated in the sense that you decide where to be generous. It's emancipation because you're freeing your money from having its hand around your throat instead of your money telling you what to do. Dave Ramsey puts it, you tell your money what to do. That's how generous people uh, live. So let me break this definition down. Premeditated. In order to be generous, you have to have a plan. Generosity requires a plan. Say that to your neighbor. Is anybody awake here today? All right. Generosity requires a plan. With a little more emphasis this time, can we just say that one more time? Generosity requires a plan. Thank you. Some of you say, but I'm not a planner. My spouse is the planner. Here's what I want to say to you non-planners. If you have financial habits, then you already have a plan. You already have a plan. You may not have, have written your plan down, but you have a plan. In other words, if someone were to follow you around and take note of your habits and list them in some kind of order and say, did you, did you know that this is your plan with your finances? You would say, no, that's just what I do. And the person following you around would say, that's right, that's a plan. It's not a good plan, but it's still a plan. So hear me, if you're like most Americans, know this comes from a place of love. If you're like most Americans, you have a bad plan. Dave Ramsey would tell you that week one of Financial Peace University. You have a bad plan. And I'll go an extra step here. If you don't know what your plan is, if you don't know what your plan is, do you think it's a good plan or a bad plan? It's likely a bad plan. Why? We plan towards what's good in life. We drift towards what's bad in life. We plan towards what's good. If you plan a daily devotional, is that going to get better or worse for you? Better. What if you drift? Do you ever just wind up in the lap of God? Maybe if there's some kind of crisis, right? Seldom. If you drift, that's bad. If you plan basketball skill, acumen, and prowess, do you grow? Do you get better in your skill set? Of course you do. If you drift and do little to nothing, do you get better or worse, Keith? Worse, right? Age doesn't help, okay? So premeditated, we plan. If you've never written it down, then you likely live under the assumption consumption. Whatever I bring in, that's for me. That's your plan. All right, are you ready? Here's the consumption assumption. This is what I'm telling you we're going to reverse by God's grace. First, we consume it. That's the consumption assumption. We consume it, then we save what we can, then we save what we can, then we give what's left over. Let me say that again. In America, we consume what we have, then we save what we can. Last, we give what's left over. That may be today your 
plan. Consume pretty much everything that comes my way. Save what I can. And the best way for most of you to save, I think some of us would admit, is to never see it. Yes? Is it not a good way to withhold something from your paycheck before it even hits your bank account? Yes or no? Is it not a good thing to have um, a shorter-term mortgage so that you force yourself to put dollars away in home equity that you can realize in terms of cash later in your life? Yes, it is, right? So if I never see it, we say, I won't spend it. Let's just pause and think about that statement for a moment. If I never see it, I won't spend it. How many of you know that's not a compliment to yourself? Right? It points to this self-control thing. Here's what that means. It means we're accidentally saving money because we lack self-control. It means that we are at times 3S givers, spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. If somebody guilts me enough, if somebody inspires me enough, if I go to a fundraiser, I will participate. Your giving is kind of here, kind of there. There is no plan. But if you live generously, you come up with a plan. So that's the premeditated part. Let's talk about the calculated part. Calculated means you decide ahead of time how much you're going to give. We need to know ahead of time, how much am I going to give? And I will talk in these terms. What is the percentage? What is the percentage? Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. You're jumping into percentage. That's dangerous territory. That's where the hair on my neck stands up. Here's what I would say. Percentage is a better way because if you operate by percentage, as you make more, you what? Well, hopefully not. (laughs) You give more. Julie, you've gotten like 95% right this morning. That was the first blunder. You give more, right? So you need to know ahead of time, how much am I going to give and at what percentage? The Apostle Paul said, set aside a sum of money in keeping with, in keeping with your income. Literally, this means to whatever extent one has prospered in his or her life. This is left subjective in the New Testament. It's left subjective. To whatever extent one has prospered, that's what they give. People have a problem, I should say no problem, giving $10 away when they make $100. But then when you make $1,000, the $100 seems like a little bigger piece of the pie, doesn't it? Well, that's a lot of money. People start to freak out when they make $10,000 if they operate on a percentage, the zeros start adding up and they think that's just so much, what? Money. My goodness. No, it's a percentage. Generous people think in terms of percentages as their income goes up, they give more. The best way to do that is by picking a percentage. A percentage is not spontaneous. It's not 
uh, sporadic. It's not sparing. And here's what generous people do. Are you ready? They give it away before they spend it. They give it away before they spend it. The key to generosity isn't just giving more. It's giving first instead of giving last. It's giving first instead of, instead of last. Instead of consuming first, saving second, and giving third, you give first, save second, and consume third. You flip the consumption assumption on its head. I'll tell you this. I truly believe that most people want to live this way. I do. I think most Americans would tell you they want, they desire, in an ideal world, they would love to be generous. They just don't have any money because their plan is flip-flopped. They spend first, they save second, they give third. But if you live generously, that changes. So let me ask you, talk for just a minute about a percentage. Um, and and I, will, I will tell you that I think it would be God-honoring to do a progressive percentage. Progressive percentage. If that's uh, what it means to start being generous. Meaning, um, what if you had to take a baby step and it was 2 or 3% of your income? to set aside at the first of every month to be generous. Would you be willing to do that? If you think this morning, you know what, I want to be generous, but it scares me, so I'm going to start with 2%, or I'm going to start with 5%, and over time, you increase it because you learn that living generously is the best way to live. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, is everybody tracking thus far? Okay, so we've talked about... Uh, being uh, giving in a premeditated way, in a calculated way. Here's the fun part. Are you ready? We're about to put the fun in funding, okay? Nobody thought that was funny? I'm a dad. I've got four kids. I tell dad jokes. The fun in funding, get it? No? Okay. All right. That was miserable. Do not tell that joke in second service. Okay. Scratch that from online. Um, here's what puts the fund in funding. You get to pick where you put your generosity. That's what's fun. That's what's fun. Generous people don't feel guilty saying no when somebody asks for money because they've already decided where the lion's share of their giving is going. Here's what Jesus said. This is a famous verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you don't believe the whole Bible, that's your choice. If you're not sure about who Jesus is, you should at least pay attention to what Jesus says because this is brilliant insight. Where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. In other words, look at your checkbook. Wherever you're spending your money, that's what you care about. That's where your heart is. And here's what it also means. If you want to change where your heart is, you can change that by changing where your money is spent. It works both ways. So here's how to put the fun in funding. You predecide where to give. You predecide um, 
where, where you're going to do that, um, not through random acts of, of giving. Um, giving is great. I, I love that random thing. But having pre-planned, that doesn't mean you'll say no when you're asked. It certainly means that you don't have to feel guilty saying no. But if you've already picked a plan, you've already picked a percentage, now you get to decide where that goes. And you know what? We've all been in this situation. We all have where you become aware of something that really captures your heart. And what do we say? What do we say when we're living according to the consumption assumption and we've spent and then we've saved and then we give what's left over? We say something to this effect. You've heard this a million times. Oh, I wish I could do more. I wish we could do more. I wish we could do, but the reason we're unable to do more is because we didn't plan to do more. So it's, it's our fault. It's not a money problem. How do you choose your designation? How do you choose? I'll give you two suggestions. You give from a grateful heart, and you give from a broken heart. You give from a grateful heart, and you give from a broken heart. What are you grateful for? It's an open-ended question. What is your heart broken over? So you should decide ahead of time, I'm going to put the fun in funding, and I'm going to fund what I'm grateful for. I'm going to fund what my heart is broken. I'm going to fund that organization that addresses the issue that breaks my heart. This is why, and if you've noticed in three-week series, I have said nothing, not a single time until now about giving to the local church. Someone thanked me for that last week. Someone said, thank you for not, I haven't even mentioned a percentage in this whole conversation, this whole three-week conversation. Somebody said, I so appreciate the way you're going about this. Here's what I would ask about the local church. Um, Anybody who loves their local church ought to be giving to their local church. And if they don't love their local church, they ought to find one that they love. So that they'll support their local church. Find one that you're grateful for. Find one where your kids wake up in the morning and they say, I want to go, mom and dad. Please take me. I had so much fun last week. And let me take that a step further. If you have a kid in college and they leave home and they move to a different city and they get involved in another church or they get involved in like Chi Alpha Campus Ministries at UW Stevens Point and a Tom and Nicole Barg who are our first missionaries are meeting with them regularly and discipling them and love on them, you may want to give and support Tom and Nicole in Chi Alpha. Why? Because you're grateful for the investment that they have in your college kids. Oh my gosh, my kid is actually serving Jesus in college. And if Spencer Lake has changed your child's life, 
Maybe you would consider investing in Spencer Lake. Maybe 89Q, listening to the radio station. It's completely user or listener, as far as I know, funded. That saved my marriage. You have a grateful heart. What ought you to do? It kept me from harming myself. What ought you to do? In addition to your local church, pick something that you are all about. This is what puts the fun in funding. Pick something you love, you're passionate about, a charity that creates emotion in you, a group that's doing something in the world. It may be something that's focused on a specific country or a specific neighborhood or a specific need. Maybe it's helping to fight sex trafficking. You know what I kind of dream about in a creative sort of way? I'm 40, and I'm fat, and I'm winded easily, and it's no longer, right, my prime time to be this guy. I want to be the Taken guy. You seen the movie The Taken and Taken 2? I want to go bust up these evil, human, smuggling, raping, extorting individuals that the Bible says are going to burn in the pit of hell. It's going to be better for them to have a noose tied around their neck and thrown into the bottom of the ocean for touching a child. So I'm passionate about it. So what do we do as generous Americans? We fund it. That's what we do. Pastors should not be afraid that the people in their churches, and I have, I have been this way in my heart at times in the past, that the people of their churches give to organizations outside the church. What is that doing? It's operating out of a scarcity mentality. There's not enough to go around. We've got to find our peace. That's not, that's not the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's not the robust, you know, abundance mentality that I want to live of where there's enough to go around. So I think now it's not, um, it, it, it's not, a fearful to see people giving to other organizations. It's the goal, right? It's the goal of every church. Why ought it to be the goal? Because I'm not trying to get more money. I'm trying to create in this series generous people. Because when you have generous people, you don't have to be afraid of what generous people are going to do with their money. So what's your conclusion today, Pastor? Are you now going to tell us what percentage to give the church? No, I'm not. The New Testament doesn't say. I think there are echoes. I think there are helpful rules of thumb. Jesus said himself, don't leave the former things undone either. That was in the context of generosity. But, but we don't know. We don't know what the percentage was in the New Testament. It's not stated. 
In the first century, this is what I'll tell you to conclude. The Apostle Paul was planting churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. All around the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, just like we're trying to do in central Wisconsin. I'm talking to a a guy right now, Daniel Tyler, and we're looking for how we can partner and help him get into Rib Mountain. Do you know Rib Mountain, as far as I know, does not have, I've looked, an evangelical church. Stratford has more evangelical churches than Rib Mountain. How is that possible? So what do we, what we do we care about those people in Rib Mountain that don't know Jesus? I hope we care about them. So we want to send Daniel into that space. That's a booming community. People are moving there, right? So here's what I'd say in conclusion. The Apostle Paul's jumping around. There's, there's Christians in, in the city of Jerusalem who are suffering. Their plight's not good. Paul starts writing letters to these churches, these church plants. One of them is in Corinth, and he's telling them, I was going to read this account. It's, it's a little lengthy in total. Um, if you want to look, it's 1 Corinthians 16, and there's more in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. But I'll, I'll paraphrase. Paul's writing a letter to the Corinth church, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this is the first case where the New Testament addresses the whole money collection thing. Just in case you think I am making this whole series up and its points, okay? I want to show you. The very first offering in the New Testament church, Paul says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. In other words, this is exactly what I've told the other church plants. Here's how churches should handle the whole money thing. And he says, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. In other words, you have a plan. You have a plan. It's premeditated. The people said, Paul, should, should we wait to see how the Spirit leads us? He said, nope, don't wait to see how the Spirit leads you. Have a plan. Should we wait and see how, the, how well the guy communicates with the microphone? Should we wait to see all the sad pictures? Should we wait to see how good the sermon is this particular week? Because, you know, it was kind of cruddy last week, if I'm honest. Paul says, nope. You got to have a plan. Take some money. Put it aside. How much? Paul says, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In other words, a percentage. But how much, Paul? How much? Tell us. In keeping with your income. The Greek phrase means to whatever extent one has prospered. Okay, Paul, you got to give me a number. You got to tell me. Paul says, no. How grateful are you for those Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering? Are you thankful for them? Give out of your grateful heart. How broken is your heart regarding their plight? Are you really broken for them? Show it. Prove that money doesn't have its noose around your neck. Be generous. Paul says, set it aside. And look what happens. Saving it up so that when I come, so that this is amazing, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. What is Paul saying? He's saying, live in such a way 
that I won't have to play a sad song. Live in such a way that I won't have to show you sad pictures. If you live generously having a plan, not giving out of your leftovers, nobody's going to be sitting in church saying, man, I just wish we could do more. In fact, Paul says, if you plan, if you calculate, if you designate, we're not even going to have to take a collection. We kind of move this way during COVID. We don't pass a plate around anymore. I don't think we ever are again. A lot of churches aren't. But could you imagine if we just said we're never going to take a collection again? God's people have been so generous. This has been so regular, so recurring. We're never even going to tell you how to give. We're just going to wait till people ask out of their generous hearts. Like this was the climate of the early church. So cool. So let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, I, uh, Lord, have, have given this my best shot to to communicate in, although I joked in the beginning about how offensive it would be to really get down to the heart of the matter. The last thing we need, Lord, is another rule to become legalistic about, to pride ourselves in. Lord, what we need is what our community needs, what our country needs, what injustice around the world needs is people not to give because they've been compelled by someone, but to give at your compelling Holy Spirit. Lord, in, instead of us spending, saving, and giving, help us to give, then help us to save, then help us to spend. In Jesus' name, amen.